Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Lansing, Michigan is Julie Janeway. Julie is General Counsel and Principal Owner of Principled Healthcare Consulting. And today we're going to be talking about her session at the 2024 Compliance Institute, Conducting an Effective and Efficient Internal or Parallel Investigation. Julie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for doing this session. Uh, let's get into the topic. What are the risk areas that most typically, to your experience, require a more robust and complex investigation in healthcare? Uh, well, hi. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Hi to everybody out there. I uh, hope to see you at HCCA. Okay, risk areas. Um, anything that is local, state, federal, international, um, and that in is has the potential to include mediation, uh, a court case, arbitration, an administrative hearing, uh, something where there is a dispute over contractual remedies, um, and and or there may be reputational or other types of fallout. So we're talking about criminal law, civil law, administrative agency or regulatory violations, uh, whether it's suspected or actual behavior, intentional or not. Um, whether by the company or an employer or contractor. Uh, so uh, financial compliance issues, also internal policy and conduct requirement breaches. These can lead to any of those things I just talked about. So it's really important that you have a very, very um, well fleshed out, robust, properly completed internal investigation because it's really, inter really easy for people to find it on the internet uh, and find a way to really mess up your company's life uh, by reporting things to the government, whether they're real or not. And it's always a mess once that happens. Now, as you know, a good investigator develops a plan before diving in. What should be contained in the plan? Well, the first thing you need is you need a, a pre-plan, kind of an investigation pre-plan. So you need to have already designated and identified um, the particular compliance leaders who kind of will deal with certain types of issues. So. Um, you might have somebody, you know, if you've got a hip, potential HIPAA issue, of course, you're going to want that privacy officer and um, people like that. So just understanding who you may have. And that's easy if you're a hospital system, not so easy if you're a practice. Um, the As far as the plan, you they things have to be planned, all planned out. Um, and you have to understand your team members, uh, who's going to be on that that investigation team, because it is rarely, if ever, just one person. I've, I've done a couple where there's been two of us, but they were uh, rather different uh, types of situations. Um, you're looking at what uh, legal issues may be there. You certainly want to include an attorney uh, who is an experienced investigation attorney, uh, because they're going to see things from a different perspective. But you're looking at document collection. So that's why you need these internal team members, because they're the ones who could put their hands on it. Um, you know, document collection, review, witness interviews, who needs to be interviewed, who doesn't need to be interviewed, who's going to be potentially uh, adverse, who's going to be really shy and, and want to, you know, just be left alone and not involved. Um, there may be research that needs to be done. Careful evaluation and analysis, obviously, by the team. Um, you have to look at, at correction and mitigation measures. What's reasonable, what's feasible, uh, those kinds of things. And then, of course, always a defense strategy. Everything in an in, in investigation 
is done through the lens of potential or actual defense strategy. So defensibility is something that was probably one of the most common words I ever say. Um, so you're looking at expert witnesses, potentially reputational damage limitations, uh, periodic reporting issues, um, you know, other, other forms of things like potentially a corporate integrity agreement, uh, things like just all kinds of things like that. So there's more that goes into the plan and we're going to explore that in my session. Sounds like a lot there to explore. That's for sure. Now, <laughs> when people put together the plan, are there any things that they typically wrongly put into the plan that really don't belong there? Um, yeah, not having a plan is the is the first problem. Um, and and then they think that they can make the plan up as they go along. And when you do that, here's how you you know how human nature handles things. Um, let's ignore it. <laughs> let's let's destroy the evidence. I have a great story that I will tell at the session about um, an executive who decided that uh, that was the best way to go while the sirens uh, for the police were and the ambulance and everybody were roaring towards the uh, towards the facility. Um, you can't fire your way out of the problem. That's I guarantee you that is like ignoring and destroying evidence. These are all things that are going to get you in serious trouble. Um, and just just amplify, magnify, and duplicate, or, or not duplicate, but increase the number of issues you're going to have to deal with. Um, retaliation, intimidation, these are not not good not good choices. And yet I've actually seen them in writing. I've seen all of these things in writing, um, which is scarier yet. Um, letting supervisors or managers interview subordinates that should only happen where it absolutely cannot be avoided um, because there's credibility, legitimacy, you know, conflicts, all kinds of problems there. Um, again, failing to get an experienced investigation attorney involved when uh, it's really good insurance, to tell you the truth, because it's all done under attorney-client privilege, right? That's that's kind of the, the, the big thing about that. Um, uh, failing to have proper insurance ahead of time. Again, a lot of this is your pre-plan, not just your investigation plan. Um, but not having a team, um, just having one perspective, that's a, that's a big problem. Um, failing to, to find all the documentary support, not realizing, you know, that that's very important and that you may need other outside, uh, team members. Um, that's just some. That's not just some, that's a lot. <laughs> now, <laughs> let's talk it's about a, parallel. It's a really complex thing. <laughs> It is. It is. I'm definitely getting that sense. I'm thinking we need to move you to a 12-hour session at the yes, Institute. An all, but, an all weekend session. Right. Um, so let's talk about parallel investigations. What What are some of the rules of the road there? And what's the best way to do them right? Well, parallel investigations, most people don't even know what that is. So let me just, for those of you out there, you don't have to self-identify. Uh, I'll just throw it out there for you. Parallel investigations are done uh, pursuant to statute. Uh, there are several federal statutes and there are state statutes that require that when you are notified that there is an investigation by that governmental agency, whether it's fed, federal government or, or a particular agency in the federal government, obviously, uh, or state, um, that you have to then run a parallel investigation in other words an internal parallel investigation but you're now it's very directed at what the government is looking at um now this is the most important thing i can say here is you 
absolutely must 100% of the time, no two ways about it, have an experienced attorney involved here because you absolutely must have attorney-client privilege. Um, the government will want their, to get their hands on everything you've done from your parallel investigation, and you need it all done under attorney-client privilege so that it can go on a privilege log and it is not subject to disclosure. Um, the there un, People are unaware that there are sanctions for failing to do parallel investigations, but otherwise they are done uh, pretty much like an internal investigation with the exception of um, there may be more forensic digging, there may be even more accounting or RCM digging, um, but not necessarily. So ignorance of the law is no excuse uh, and understanding how quickly you you have to do that and the there are parameters um, where you are doing this very similar to the way the OIG is doing it. You truly want to keep it as parallel as possible which means it's got to be really on point. There's no getting off on, you know, other kind of tendril issues that that may appear. Now, are there, you mentioned one thing, which is avoiding tendril issues. Are there any other third rails to avoid? Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of third rails. Um, you know, well, again, failing, failing to do something, failing to do it timely, um, asking only a few questions. I mean, I, I there was a one that I had to repeat because it was done by a major university, and um, they literally asked three or four questions, and then of of one witness, only one, and then came to a conclusion, uh, and then fired an employee, and that's never going to hold up. There's no defensibility there. There's no real investigation. It was simply I'm going to do something to uh, to confirm my own bias, right, or my own my own perception of the situation, or to further my own agenda. Whatever those cases, uh, the case made uh, again, failing to actually document it. Evidence is everything. Uh, so you you have to you can't just say, well, this happened in the absence of evidence. And understanding what constitutes real evidence and what doesn't constitute real evidence um, is kind of important. And there are many people who aren't attorneys who really understand that. So that's, you know, that's not a big, you know, attorney thing necessarily. Knowing what's admissible evidence, that's an attorney thing. Um, but other than that, there's third rails are, are simply things that people stumble over um, accidentally because they don't know. Um, failing to report things to your insurance, there's a big one. If you have insurance, um, you need to make proper reports and, and timely reports, or you may find that you have no uh, insurance coverage um, because that's usually a condition of the contract. Um, retaliating again in any way, even if it's a contract dispute, retaliating against the other side, well, you you breached or you, you said you're gonna breach against us, now we're gonna breach against you bigger. Um, so it's not a schoolyard brawl. That's that's what I can say there. It's not a, a schoolyard brawl, and it's got to be taken from the perspective. If it if it's very calm, um, you have to not give in to the emotion. That's a good third rail. Don't give in to the emotions of everyone involved, and simply uh, again another reason why your professional compliance people, your internal compliance people, and an attorney. We, we kind of come at this from an, a little bit more of an outside perspective, so we're able to be more objective and not get sucked into that, um, 
the emotion of it, whether it be anger, sadness, grief, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, third rails, come, come, we'll discuss them. You'll bring your stories, I'll bring my stories, we'll go through stuff, you'll take home great resources, and we'll all get better at this. And that's truly the goal, both of the session and the Compliance Institute. Well, Julie, thank you for sharing these insights with us today. I wanna to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletout from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.